0: Grab a seat, grab a seat. How's everyone doing this morning? How about the band leading us in worship of Jesus? Can we give them a round of applause? That was amazing. That was beautiful. Thank you, Caleb and the team. All right, well, um, guess where we're at this morning. Take a wild guess where we're at this morning. Ephesians, Ephesians, that's right. So open your Bibles to, you guys have been paying attention since February. That's great. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. And as you're Turning there, if you don't have a Bible, verses will be on the screen, and if you're new at the transit, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here, um, and we like to go through books of the Bible uh, from uh, the pulpit here, and so we're in Paul's letter written in 62 AD to Christians in the ancient city of Ephesus, which is in Asia Minor. To, uh, these were new Christians. They were probably seven years old in uh, the faith, and uh, the person that planted this church is writing back to the churches from jail. Awaiting execution of of everything uh, that God has done for them in giving his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for their sins. And now what we're looking at today in Ephesians chapter 4 is how are we to respond? Um, As you've heard me say these big fancy words the last two weeks in a row, the indicative and the imperative... Ephesians 1 through 3 is the indicative of the Christian life. It's, it's being, it's identity, it's who I am only because of what God has first done for me in Christ Jesus, right? We've been looking at for, from Ephesians chapter 1 to 3 that um, in Christ Jesus we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God's grace, God's forgiveness that we sing about today, uh, adoption into God's family, the gift of his spirit, his presence with us, fellowship with him, the gift of eternal life and eternal hope uh, with him uh, forever. And now we're at this pivotal moment in Ephesians 4. where from Ephesians 4 to chapter 6 to the end of the book. We're going to be looking at, well, how are we as Christians to respond to this free gift, this undeserved gift? And so I had this thought as I was uh, preparing for my sermon. That I'm a father of three kids. I have two daughters and a, and a young boy. So seven, five, and and two and a half. And a gift that they have uh, freely been given. Maybe in an undeserved sense, for the sake of this illustration, is they have been given. Let me know if your kids have these gifts. my kids own two uh, food truck businesses. Did you guys, you guys got any of these food trucks at your house? One is an ice cream truck. And the other is, um, it's, a, it's, it's not a taco or burger or pizza. It's tacos, burgers, and pizza in one truck. It's amazing. And so uh, as a father, all this gift is a collective gift. It's not just for one of them. It's a, it's a shared gift. And it's amazing. As one of my favorite activities is... Uh, to see my kids working in unity to make me burgers and tacos and, 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 and ice cream and working together to make sure their, you know, their margins are all, you know, tracking with, you know, how much money they're charging and, you know, have to, you know, employment taxes and all that stuff, right? Like, it's amazing to see that unity that they have and um, the only problem with that unity that I get to enjoy is it lasts about five seconds, and the gift that was given in love and for unity for them and for, because I'm a good father and I, and I love them, although for the sake of this illustration, um, I'm saying that I gave them this, but let me be clear, I didn't, I don't think I gave them this gift. I think this was bought by somebody else, an aunt or an uncle or grandma or grandpa, okay? Or maybe someone from the church, you're like, oh yeah, we gave that to you because we didn't want it in our house anymore. But anyways, often it works out where all of a sudden this shared collective gift given in love and for the sake of love is all of a sudden there's division, there's, there's rivalry. All of a sudden, what uh, was given, and there's a sense of this is ours now is mine. This is my food truck. I'm the boss. You're flipping the burgers too slowly, um, and uh, you need to, to move faster. You're fired, and uh, you you know, and all these things. They're firing each other and calling HR. They don't even know what HR is. They're calling in. The... Anyways, this is um, and the reason I share that is this precious gospel. Often we can. Just have a very narrow individualistic view of our relationship with God and the grace we've received. Obviously, it's, it's individual. It comes to the, the, the gospel is, is for me. Uh, my sins have been nailed to the cross. My, my debt has been paid, so now I have peace with God. Uh, he's forgiven me, and he's brought me home, right? That's what we're saying about this morning, but we have to have a much broader A view of the grace that we've been given and that realize that what the scriptures teach us is that Jesus has reconciled not us as individuals back to God, but in one body, the church back to God, that we collectively have received this gift. So that's what we're going to be talking about today is the very first thing that the Apostle Paul mentions in our text in responding to the gospel is unity. Is unity is one of the the primary ways we can respond in a manner that's worthy of the grace we've been shown uh, that gift given in love is now is by how we love one another and we strive for unity. So my sermon title is this: Unity is worth fighting for. Kind of a play on words there. You don't think about fighting with unity, all right? But (laughs) unity is worth fighting for. And the truth of the matter is that there's so much at stake on the other side of our unity, like what Jesus has given us through his death, the gift of the church, is beautiful. It's amazing. My life has been radically and powerfully transformed, yes, by Jesus, and yes, by his church, right? And so that's what we're celebrating today, that this is dear to to God. And so because the church is precious to Jesus, and Jesus is my Lord, then the church now becomes precious to me. And I have to caution myself and and slow down when I'm eager to cancel the church or slander the church or seek to divide the church and not strive for unity as we're commended in the scriptures today. The very first thing that the Apostle Paul commends us to on the other side of the gospel is now body of believers in that context made up of Jews and Gentiles who historically were hostile to each other strive for unity. So let's read this text and then we'll pray and we'll dive on in. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, verses will be on the screen. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And all God's people said, amen, Amen. let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And we thank you, Lord, for the gift of family, your church. Jesus, this was your idea Jesus you're the only reason all of us are here today from different backgrounds different stories different nations you're the reason you did this and you call it beautiful and Lord what you call beautiful may we not say anything else Lord Jesus and so God would you come Holy Spirit would you convict us and and, and illuminate the darkness in our hearts where we might have a, a bitterness Lord to those that have have wronged us, or or maybe at large, Lord. There's there's prejudice in our heart, Lord Jesus. There's there's things that are antithetical to your love, antithetical to your gospel in our hearts, God. And would you lead us in beautiful repentance today, God? We want what you want. We want a church unified in love, God. You've given us this grace together from your love, and for the sake of loving one another. What a beautiful calling. That we have a community. You didn't leave us in isolation, but you gave us the precious gift of community, that which we were created for. We were created to belong, and we belong here, and you brought us here, God. So we say thank you for this church. God, thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ. This was your idea, God. You've done it, and it's for our good, Lord Jesus. And so, God, would you help us uh, uh, to—relationships are hard sometimes, Lord (laughs) Jesus— The greatest source of joy and also the greatest sources of pain in our life, Lord God. Would you bring healing to wounds today? That maybe people have been holding on to for decades? Would you, Jesus, invite us into the freedom of forgiving our enemies? Releasing resentment against those who, who maybe have have hurt us, Lord Jesus? Would you show us the way of the cross, which is the way to freedom, Lord Jesus? to forgive others the way we've been forgiven. So we look to you and as we look to you and as we look to your cross and we look to the payment for our salvation, it has to, uh, by your spirit, well within us, humility, God. Who's a God like you that would do so much for me? And now how can I live my life, not for my agenda, my will, but for your will? And to make sure that the love and the grace and the kindness that's been shown to me extends through me, God, to your church and through the four walls of the church to those outside the church who desperately need the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the compassion and the love of Jesus that I have experienced. And so, Lord, come and have your way with your word and with our hearts. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. All right. Well, the first thing that sticks out in this exhortation, the scripture uh, that we're looking at today is the tone of the Apostle Paul's voice in this, excer- in this exhortation. If you kind of look at the language in verse one, there seems to be kind of a genuine, heartfelt concern in Paul's language and tone that he's using, right? Uh, he says, I, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, the, the gospel, the grace the salvation that you've been given, if I were to restate kind of what he's saying, he's, he's saying Ephesian believers, uh, you know me, you know where I'm at, you know that my days are numbered. I'm writing to you from jail for Jesus, awaiting execution, and my days are numbered. And I urge you and I implore you, Ephesian church, land the plane here, transit church. Walk in a manner worthy of the undeserved kindness and love and grace that's freely been given to you in Christ Jesus. You see this, not condemnation of the Apostle Paul, but this heartfelt concern, this fatherly moment on one knee to the kids. Look me in the eye. I, you have to get this. There's so much at stake. There's so much at stake if you guys get proud and divisive. Yeah, this, this ship can sink really quickly. And and far more than that, there's so much beautiful work that God wants to do in your midst and through you. If you guys can stay humble and patient and kind and walking in a manner worthy of the Savior who's called you to follow in his footsteps. And so what I'm getting at is Paul is serious, not flippant about how we steward God's grace in our lives there's a a a solemnity a a severity of his tone here that this is actually serious that we're not we haven't received cheap grace that what we've been given is costly and that what we see here if the exhortation is walk in a manner worthy of the love we've been shown well then it begs the question or, or not begs the question but it shows us that it's actually possible for us to not walk in a manner that's worthy of the grace we've been shown and and uh To illustrate that you might be asking well how would we walk unworthy what would that look like on the other side of the cross on the other side of me being forgiven and and saved and adopted and and redeemed on the other side of the cross what would it look like for me in the church to to walk in a way that's not worthy well let's just state the opposite of everything that paul says the holy spirit said through paul and this is how i rephrased it here um this is not scripture this is me restating the opposites, all right? So nobody be like, wow, that was harsh, okay? So this isn't scripture, okay? It's on the screen, but this is for the sake of illustration. I want you to contrast as the mother of clarity. So imagine if Paul said this. This would, this would be what it would look like to walk in a manner unworthy. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, uh, I don't care how you as the redeemed and beloved children of God live on the other side of God's grace. Good news. God doesn't care either, Right? Feel free to to walk in pride and, and harshness, being impatient and quick to cancel each other. Any second you get, boom, canceled, right? Sean, canceled. Like, just do that. And then moving forward, next slide. Making no effort whatsoever to maintain the unity of the spirit while you gladly tear apart the bond of peace in the church whenever you selfishly feel like it. Don't focus on what unites you. Don't focus on what you have in common in Christ. Instead, focus on all your differences. Focus, is, focus on what divides you and then argue about those differences every chance you get, right? That would be walking in a manner unworthy of the gospel. And thank God that's not what Paul says. That's what we're not invited into. Like, we don't have to live that way as followers of Jesus. Like, here's, here's, here's what's happening. Our cultural moment is that's the ethic of the culture, Right? It's go to social media, put people in camps, and just be quick to judge, be harsh, be impatient. Uh, don't strive to maintain unity. Be quick to, to cause division and just, and just get at each other's throats rather than have each other's back and, and, and extend each other's grace. Right? And so that is our cultural moment, but it doesn't have to be this way with us in the church. Why? Because we're going to talk about this in a little bit. That's not how God has treated us. That's not how Jesus has treated us. And uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get there. But the reason I want to share this is this, is, is not to condemn anyone here, but I, I think that what I just read there, it paints a picture of the outcome when we flippantly receive what Jesus died to give us, when we don't have a weighty sense of the grace uh, that we've been given came at a great cost to us. We also, we kind of have this false idea that uh, I'm a sinner saved by grace, so then God's grace means that I still get to live however I please. And so we confess Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord over our lives. And so then I can just um, uh, button smash, you know, uh, the sin button, just just smash that, that sin button in my life, division, hostility, gossip, slander, Jesus will forgive me. I get to live however I want because I have a Savior who will just forgive me of all my sins. And, and that's, not how, that's not how that thing works, right? To confess, yes, you, you are forgiven. His mercies are new every morning. And yes, he's also Lord. To come to salvation in Jesus, you, you receive him as Savior, that you need the work of Jesus on the cross to make you right with God and cleanse you from your sins. You don't have to do that job. Jesus has done it for you. It's amazing news. And then with that comes confession of lordship, that God is God. He is Lord over your life, meaning this, that now your prayer isn't God, make my will be done, but God, uh, help me die to my will so that I can live so that your will is done and your name is glorified and that your kingdom advances, not my own in my life. We, we can't just confess Jesus as Savior and not confess him as Lord. That would be cheapening the work of the cross and not stewarding his grace well. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who gave his life um, for the cause of Christ during World War II, uh, he writes this in his book, The Cost of Disci- Discipleship. He talks about cheap grace versus costly grace. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Can you put that on the screen if you got it there? Communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. I love this last paragraph. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, but it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus. It is costly because it it very well might cost a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It's beautiful, isn't it? It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. And above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought with a price, the scripture says. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. That last line is everything I'm going for right now. This is how we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. It costs God so much to bring you and I here this morning. If you're a church member, that's not just something like, you know, at the transit. That was Jesus, the cost of the the Son giving His life to bring us together. I love that last line. What has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. And so returning to our text in verse 3, notice the command is not, I urge you, create the unity of the Spirit. Create the unity. No, we don't need to create unity. What it says is be eager in verse 3, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And the deduction that follows is that Jesus Christ has already made us one. We don't create unity. We don't, we don't strive to, to kind of to create something that isn't already there. Jesus Christ has already called us brothers and sisters. He has already redeemed us as the family of God. We belong to God the Father. We've been adopted. Jesus Christ has made us one. And so, and so what God is saying, as, as the body of Christ, the temple of his spirit, the family of God, that Christ died to give you this precious gift. And now the exhortation is just maintain what Jesus has already done maintain what he's done because he gave it by his death. What has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. And, and this, yes, this unity that Jesus gave us was costly, but also what's interesting in verse three is that it's not our unity we're striving for. If you look back at verse number three uh, in our text, it says, it doesn't say in our text, maintain the unity of the church, right? You would think that that's what it would be, maintain the unity of the church. Instead, the refrain is maintain the unity of the spirit. Maintain the unity of the spirit. And so what I want to, what I want to hone in on from that is often in the church when we have conflict with one another, we just think it's me and this person. Like, I mean, I got beef with you or you got beef with me and uh, maybe we'll double down. And you guys understand when I talk about beef, you know, is that like, okay, anyways, (laughs) just make sure you're tracking with me. I have issues with you. You have issues with me. And instead of us seeking reconciliation, we're going to harden our hearts. We're going to talk to everybody else in the church about it, get, uh, get everyone else on our side, and then, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and what we need to understand, that it's the unity of the Spirit in the church. And so if I have beef with you and you have beef with me, we're, there's a third party that we need to, to yield to as well who's involved in that. And it's God, the Holy Spirit. Because we, the church, are the place where God dwells by his Holy Spirit in the bond of peace, the unity of the Spirit. And so when we have division with each other, we can't sever the unity of the Spirit, but it's almost as if we are trying. We are trying. We have a song. We're trying to, 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 uh, uh, to tear apart what God has brought together. I love doing weddings, and the last line of doing a wedding is, uh, what God has joined together, let no man dare separate, right? It's that Bible verse about marriage, but it applies to the church. Like, we have to understand the cost that Jesus paid to make us one in a covenant, God's covenant family. And, and that refrain for marriage applies to the church. What God by his spirit through the death of his son has brought together, let's not dare separate. And if we have an issue with each other, we're, we're, we, we very well, that's going unresolved and we're not going about it the way that God encourages us to in forgiveness. We're, we can grieve and quench the Holy Spirit in our midst. And so I was watching a, a really famous pastor uh, share this story. Uh, it, it blew my mind, and uh, he was talking about this, this secret sin uh, that he, he had. It wasn't adultery, but it was a secret sin that his wife didn't know about early on in his ministry, and he was a popular preacher in his ministry, and he was praying before this big conference that he was going to speak at one night. He goes, God, would you just bless, uh, God, just bless my preaching, bless the, you know, the message, bless the blah, 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 and, and he hears clear as day. He goes, according to him, he goes, and I felt the Lord say, until you confess this sin to your wife, I will never bless your preaching. And then, and then he says this, if you're not right with her, you're not right with me. There it is, right? And so then, and then he, he unpacks that story of confession and, and repentance and, and so on and so forth. But man, oh man, we like we got to be quick with our division and, and hostility or prone to judgments that, hey, if we have an issue with, with one another, it's, it's not just... It's not just us involved in that, in that conflict, right? That, that if, if, if I want to cancel the church, I want to cancel another man's bride that, that he bought with his, with his blood. Um, and this is what Jesus says in, in Matthew uh, Matthew five twenty three through 24. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. And so as I'm speaking, I'm just, I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit would come and search us. And there's no condemnation. Condemnation is a dead end. So you're a sinner, good luck. But the conviction that God brings leads to an invitation to newness of life. And on the other side of conviction, there's an invitation to walk in newness of life and to strive for the unity of the Spirit. And so if as I'm talking, the Holy Spirit is bringing people to mind or or thoughts to mind that you've had about other people in your life or conversations that you need to have, I would encourage you, we're going to have a a prayer team up here after the service. Come and receive prayer. If anything has resonated with you and you feel like God's encouraging you to forgive or to release resentment or have hard conversations or, or whatever it is, I encourage you to come forward and receive prayer because we see the Father heart of God. I'm a father and if my kids are are coming to me, but I know that I know that my oldest hates my second, my middle child, and they're just they just got beef. And I've told them time and time again to hey, come on, resolve this conflict. But the oldest keeps coming to me to say, "Daddy, I love you. Let's go get ice cream and all this stuff." And I'm saying, "I love you, but if you're not like we're a family, I need you to reconcile with your sister before you come and think that we're. All right. I love you. You're not. You're not. I'm not unadopting you. Like like hear, hear me this. Your eternal union." in Christ, will never be severed. Once a child, always a child of God. You belong. Uh, nothing can separate you from God's love. But our uh, experiential fellowship and relationship with God can be hindered by sin and unrepentant sin. And so God's invitation to, to release that and reconcile is so that there's unity vertically and unity, unity horizontally. So moving on to our next point. Okay, well, that's great, Nick. How do we maintain unity of the Holy Spirit? Well, I love the realism of our text today. It's super real. Maintaining unity is hard work. There's this false notion in the church today that, that what unity means is that today, um, all of us are gonna hold hands in a circle and I'm gonna start playing an acoustic guitar. Somebody's gonna come up on a djembe and we're just gonna sing the Barney I Love You song. And everything's, I love you, you love me. We're one happy family. So, you know, with a great big hug and a kiss from me to you. I forgot the last line. Sorry. (laughs) It's been a minute since I watched Barney. But that's like a false notion of Barney, right? Like relationships are tough. I was listening to a podcast. If you're taking notes, uh, here's a freebie. podcast called With You in the Weeds. It's biblical counselors who gather and they're talking about anger. They talk about anxiety. They talk about depression. They talk about conflict. It's a great podcast. I've been listening to it uh, called With You in the Weeds. Listen to that. uh, And uh, one of the counselors said, uh, for him, he's like, they're talking about conflict in relationships, and he said, that what's the, the, the irony of relationships is that our greatest joy in life and satisfaction comes through relationships, and yet then our greatest hurts and wounds and pain in our life comes through relationships as well, and what scripture uh, exhorts us today, what, what scripture shows us today in the language Paul uses, is the realism of how difficult relationships are and how much work it is to strive for unity in the body of Christ. So look at verse 2. If you look at verse 2 in our text, you have your Bibles open, the language used is bearing with one another in love. Walk in humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. If you look at the Greek, you do a Greek word study of that word bearing. Uh, you could, uh, the, the other usages of that in the New Testament is endure. Ha, 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 yeah, endure one another with love, right? You want to know other uses of endure? Endure persecution, right? Look at the realism there. It's It's like Jews and Gentiles in Ephesus, this new community, this new creation, this new body, this new family, it's going to be hard. You're going to have to endure each other. You're going to have to endure me, transit, sorry. You do it every Sunday, right? Like there's an endurance, right? There's a bearing with one another, right? And the gospel we're talking about here, the gospel frees us to do that. And then it goes, it goes a step further. In verse three, the language in other translations in the NIV and the CSB, instead of being eager, it says this, you can, you can throw the verse on the screen here. This is the, the CSB translation. It says this, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So what do we learn here? Maintaining the unity of the spirit is hard work endurance and effort is how we stay unified, right? Not lovey-dovey singing, you know, uh, Barney songs, but endurance and effort, which means this. Unity doesn't happen by accident. Us being unified as a body of Christ, a local body of believers, doesn't happen by accident. It requires, what I mean by that is, there's gonna be some hard conversations we're gonna have to have together. Pastor to church members, church members to each other. Like There's gonna be hard conversations, where I've wronged you, or, or you've wronged me, and we have to be quick to forgive and, and recognize. And, and the process looks like this. If we've wronged someone, we have to recognize that. Hey, that was, I can admit that because, because uh, my sins have been nailed to the cross. I've already acknowledged the fact that I'm a sinner. I'm in need of grace, right? I, the same grace that I needed on the day of salvation is the same grace that I need today, right? And God's making me a new creation by his spirit. And so I can, I can recognize, man, that was silly. That was stupid. That was wrong. That was image. I'm so sorry. Let me repent. I'm going to turn from that. I'm going to confess that. And then let's seek reconciliation. Let's seek reconciliation. The scriptures say, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, right? Live at peace with everyone. It might not be possible, right, to have reconciliation with others. But as far as it depends on us in our hearts, we can extend that forgiveness to others. Relationships are like gardening. The only thing you need to do with a garden or your yard for chaos terrain is nothing. You just don't have to do anything. And all of a sudden, these weeds grow, and they get bigger, and they plant other weeds. And next thing you know, just pure chaos is raining, and there's no garden left. So the only thing you have to do is absolutely nothing to maintain a garden. And relationships are like a garden. When you see a weed pop up, the sooner you can pluck that little guy, the faster you can move on and maintain that garden. But if you let that root of bitterness creep up in your heart, the roots run deep and deeper and deeper, and then they plant other roots and other roots, and other roots. So let the Holy Spirit through his word. We're not here to hear a good sermon. We're not here to to do church well. I'm not here to play the preacher. We're here to obey God's word and say yes to his invitation to new life. If there's bitterness in your heart, release that today in prayer. Release that in prayer today. The Scriptures say, do not let any root of bitterness take root in your heart. Let's earnestly desire to maintain the unity of the spirit. So then it begs the question, well, relationships are hard because we're sinners. Well, what virtues are necessary to embody in our life that will make that unity possible. Well, verse two tells, tells us this. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. That looks like walking in humility and gentleness and patience. Humility, gentleness, and patience, right? Man, don't you wish that described your life, <laughs> right? Or described the way you drove your car, <laughs> right? Right? And yet, this is what we're exhorted to. Of all the virtues that Paul, inspired by the Spirit, could tell us to embody, these are the first three. Stay humble. Be gentle towards one another. Be patient. Be patient. Not proud. Not harsh. Not quick to judge and cancel. And the reason why we as followers of Jesus should be expected to embody these virtues is because these are the virtues of uh, of the man we profess as Lord, right? The Christian ethic, what we'll be looking at for the rest of Ephesians, the Christian ethic of your life is not being good so God loves you. The Christian ethic is, I was a sinner and God loved me, and I received His grace. He's been kind. He's been, you know, how slow to anger God's been in my life. <laughs> how patient He's been. How much I've gone to Him with the same fears, the same foibles and I've been met with the same kindness and compassion and not a lightning bolt, right? The Christian ethic is how am I supposed to treat you as the other, as the person in the church? What should my mindset be? The answer to how I should do that is how has Christ treated me, right? In my sin, in my shortcoming, in my failure. But this is a shepherd I know. When Jess was leading us in a call to worship this morning, And I was praying about the two things that God's been to me in this season. Sustainer, but more than just a sustainer, a shepherd, a gentle, a kind shepherd. That's our savior. That's his heart for us, right? We're met with humility. We're met with love. We're met with grace. And now we get to extend that to others. How dare I let that stop with me and then I export impatience and harshness and criticism to y'all. When my shepherd has been gentle and kind and loving to me. Philippians 2, 1 through 11, tells us about the mindset we should have in Christ Jesus, which says this. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Holy Spirit, any affection, any sympathy. Paul saying to the church at Philippi, complete my joy by being unified, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, stay unified in the spirit. How do we do that, Paul? Get over ourselves. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We, we do this because this is what Jesus has done for us, and Paul's about to explain it. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with the God, the God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. You realize if Jesus doesn't do this, if Jesus doesn't have this mindset, we're still stuck in our sins. We're st- we still don't have a family that we belong to. We're still unsure about where we're going once we die. We don't have assurance in life. We don't have the, 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 the empowerment of the spirit in our lives. If Jesus doesn't have this mindset to us, we're lost. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, what did Jesus do for our interest? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on that old rugged cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That at that beautiful name, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can we just take a moment and pray right now? Sorry to interrupt the sermon, but let's just pray and remind ourselves of how good and kind our shepherd has been to us. God, if this wasn't your mindset, Jesus, (laughs) if you didn't lay aside your interests, and come running for us in our sin, we'd be toast, we'd be lost, God. There'd be no redemption, no hope, no love, no church, no family, no community, God. So we fix our eyes upon you. We we gladly take a commercial break in the sermon. Thank you for your, your humility, God. Your kindness, O King Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And so what we learn here is that it's the gospel. If there's a community on the face of the earth, there's a community on the face of the earth where unity is possible. It's in the church of Jesus Christ because the gospel is what makes unity possible. The gospel is what makes unity possible. I can forgive you when I've been wronged by you because I've been forgiven by God. That's what we're celebrating today. That's weighty, that's massive. I've been forgiven by God. I can be patient with you because in my sin and in my hostility towards God, God sought me out. In my sin, he came running for me and he brought me home. He's been patient with me. How could I not be patient with you? in my continual lack of getting over certain things in my life, God's been gentle with me. I can be gentle with you on this journey to glory. Have this mindset among yourselves. Have your mindset. Have this mindset among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that. And so shifting gears here, um, what humility says is that this is no longer about me. This isn't my church. This isn't about my interest. Pride says that it's all about me and my needs and my interests. And that's why um, if we uh, embody pride rather than humility on the other side of the cross, actually unity is impossible. Because if I come to this gathering of believers and I, and I say that everyone here exists to meet my needs, the second you don't meet my needs, I am harsh and impatient and I cancel you. But if I come humbly and I say, this isn't my church, this is God's church. I don't, I don't have the proof of purchase for this church. Jesus Christ does through the empty tomb. He owns this church. It's his church. And now I belong to this church and gladly get to be used by him to meet the interests of others. And so this is the mindset we're being called to today, is today I just wanna encourage us, if we came here today, was our mindset my interest and in how I can get my interests met, or are we also thinking about the interest of others? Hey, somebody here is new, what would it look like to welcome them and welcome them the way that God has welcomed me to his table? Hey, someone here, I know they're going through a hard time, could I just offer to pray for them? What would that look like for us to embody this? And lastly, I'll move on with this last point. If we're proud and, and, and just seeking our own interests, what, what, what will happen in the church is what we'll do is we'll, we'll amplify and demonize our differences rather than celebrate our similarities. And so in the context of the early church where Jew and Gentile in Ephesus were gathering is there was a historic hostility between Jew and Gentile. They grew up in totally different worlds. Right? They looked different. They talked different. They ate different. They dressed different. Everything was different about Jew and Gentile. They were divided pretty much on every uh, way you could be, ethnicity, religious, political tendencies, what was, what was virtuous, what was not virtuous, so on and so forth. There was a million things that could have divided them. And in light of that, Paul goes on this oneness rant in our text. I don't know if you guys caught this in verses 4 through 6. It's the oneness rant where he lists seven ones that Jew and Gentile that make up the church in Ephesus have in common. And this is what he says. There is one body. There's not a Jewish body or a Gentile church, a Jewish church or Gentile. There's one church. There's one spirit. There's one Holy Spirit that fills the church. The same Holy Spirit that Paul had fills us today. The Holy Spirit inside of me, it's inside of you. There isn't a Uh, A male Holy Spirit, a female Holy Spirit, a Jewish Holy Spirit, a Gentile Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit that's inside of me is inside of you, just as you were called to one hope. Our future looks exactly the same with Christ forever, undeserved, basking in the glory of God. There isn't a different hope that we celebrate. There's one Lord that we profess as Jesus Christ. There's one faith. There's one entryway into the kingdom, the profession of faith, of putting your trust in Jesus. There's not multiple ways. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one sign of belonging to the covenant people of God. And there's one God and Father of all. We all share the same Heavenly Father who promises to provide for our needs and this God is over all through all and in all and what we see with this list is that which is most precious and dear to us as as children of God is that which we share in common that which is most dear to me my Lord my father the the spirit the Trinitarian God that we were that that which is most precious and dear to me we all have in common and so why would we then amplify what we have not in common and our differences and divide over that rather than celebrate and unify over what we have in common? And what Paul, I believe, is doing here is he's giving a new set of lenses to the church, a new set of lenses, the lenses that in this cultural moment that we're in, that the, 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 the culture out there wants to have, have us wear as Christians, is put people in camps, put people in camps, and then cancel them, wherever you're at politically, wherever you're at with anything, religion, politics, whatever, Put people in this camp and then you can cancel them, write them off, they're evil, they're the enemy, so on and so forth. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, I hate to burst your bubble, you forever forfeit the right to choose whom you're going to love. Because your Savior, who we sang to today, said, uh, uh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's what Jesus modeled for us in his life as, as he was being crucified and saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. We embody that. So even if we put people in camps, well, be sure, put them in the enemy camp. Jesus says, now pray for them. Love them. Do, do to others what I've done for you. When we become followers of Jesus, we forever forfeit the right to pick and choose whom we love. Instead, Galatians 3, 28, these are the lenses that we're to view the church through. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's today celebrate and sing about and focus on the oneness that we have shared in Christ Jesus. And let's celebrate that today. And next week, Elder Seth Shook is gonna be preaching about the variety of that in that body, just like a body is made up of a variety of members that yes, we're one, and yet in God's beautiful design, we're so different. And the, the way that God is magnified and the work of Christ is magnified is how even though across our different giftings and our different backgrounds, we're still unified under the banner of Jesus Christ and the gospel. So band, you can come on forward. We're going to conclude um, with communion. And let me read John seventeen twenty through 21 to close out our time. Uh, in John 17, Jesus is about to be betrayed he's about to uh, go to the cross, he's about to be betrayed, in 24 hours he's going to be nailed to uh, the cross, and this is the last prayer in the upper room after he shared the Lord's Supper, that Passover meal with his disciples, he's praying, and this is what he prays to the Father before he gets betrayed. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. You see, what's the heart of Jesus for us? look at the prayer of our Lord and Savior for the church. Oh, Father, make them one as we are one. May the love, the unity, the joy, the fellowship that we experience, now may they experience it. And uh, and there's so much at stake in our unity that on the other side of this beautiful, blessed unity that comes about through the work of Jesus, by his Spirit, it says this, the world will know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and the reigning King that when the world looks in and they're invited in to this this outpost of heaven, this refuge, this haven in a world on fire where we are unified over a variety of things that could divide us, we're unified under the banner of Jesus, the world looks in and say, these people belong to Jesus. He's Lord, I want in. That's the beautiful invitation. So before we take communion, we're commemorating Jesus' death on our behalf for our sins. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer at the end, but here's my encouragement to you. Before we take communion, here's the invitation that I I wanna extend to you. Ask the Lord, where are you inviting me today to strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit? Where in my life are you inviting me, God, to maintain the unity of the Spirit, God? And so what the Holy Spirit might do in that moment is the Holy Spirit might reveal some resentments, unresolved resentments you have in your heart, or the Holy Spirit or, or people that you need to call and, and, and reconcile people that you've wronged. Or maybe the Holy Spirit will, will say, hey, there's a brother or sister here in need. They need encouragement. Could, would you be willing to go and talk to them and serve them this week? Maybe that's what it looks like to maintain unity, but let's do that today. Let's, let's not just uh, hear a good sermon and, and leave. I'm not saying my sermon was good, but let's not listen to the word. Let's be people who apply this to our lives and wanna honor Christ. Okay, so let's go. Let's go quiet and let's pray and let's ask, oh, Father, where are you inviting us today to strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit? Holy Spirit, would you come? precious Holy Spirit and do what only you can do God bring sweet conviction bring invitation to newness of life God oh Lord help us to see you rightly God that you're worthy God that you are our Lord help us to see the cost God the cost that was paid God to to bring us together to unify us Lord Jesus show us by your spirit how we can begin to walk in a manner worthy God And Lord, would you do something beautiful in this body of believers, God? Let it be said here at the Transit Church, Lord Jesus, that when you look down, you see people striving for the unity of the Spirit. And I thank you that I have story after story of that happening, God. It's amazing to see. It's beautiful to see people wronging each other and saying, I was wrong. Please forgive me. And then us being able to extend that forgiveness and move forward for the sake of Christ. It's beautiful, God. So come, Holy Spirit, build this church, Lord. Make it a haven. Make it a refuge. May your love be preeminent in this space, God. And I pray that leaving here, we'd have a different mindset of church. We wouldn't trash your church. We wouldn't have pride and condescending thoughts towards your church but we'd be grateful for the gift of your church. We'd be grateful for brothers and sisters in Christ. We'd seek to outdo one another in honor, Lord God, in service and love and seek to encourage and strengthen and build each other up, Lord Jesus. Because why? Because that's how you've dealt with us, our good shepherd, God. So be magnified today in our our response and in our hearts today. Be magnified through repentance, Lord God, as we prepare our hearts to, to celebrate your work through communion. In Jesus' name, amen.